Good evening. Good evening. Wow. Wow. Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, again, my name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here. It is our privilege to have you as we've gathered together to worship. Uh, if you're a guest with us, I just want to extend our very special thanks for making time to be with us on this Sunday morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Exodus chapter 20. We started last week in a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, so today we will be on commandment number two, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse four in just a minute. If you're not sure where Exodus is, that's okay. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to the first book, that's Genesis, and the second book of the Bible is Exodus, so that'll help you find it. And then you'll go to Exodus chapter 20. All right, so if you would please stand in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read to you from verses 4 through 7. Hear now, for this is the word of the Lord. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we give you praise and glory and honor. Just as we've sang, Lord God, you are the creator of the stars and the heavens, Father God, of all the things that we could perceive of. Lord God, you have created it all and you deserve all praise for it. Father, as we come today, I pray, God, that you would convict us of the idols in our lives. Father God, that you would allow this word to sink not only through our ears, but into our heads and our hearts. Father, I pray you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. What are your idols? What are your idols? As we think about the Ten Commandments, sometimes it can be really challenging for us to find that distinction between the first commandment and the second commandment. Now, the, the first commandment, of course, is you shall have no other gods before me or no other gods other than me. And, and again, as we looked at last week, that, that's not a suggestion that there are other gods. It's just a reminder that God doesn't allow us to put anything in front of him. And so that's the first. The second commandment, though, is... Is, is often seen to be sort of the same thing. If we should only worship one God, then what is this about idols? The second commandment is not prim primarily concerned or about um, us worshiping another God. Instead, it's really primarily concerned about how we worship this one true God. So you might think of it this way. The first commandment is about worshiping the one true God only. The second commandment is about the right worship of that one true God. Now, it is true that we can worship false gods as idols. You may run after money or fame or success, and all of that can be an idol. In our life group this morning, we talked about how even our own children can become an idol that we put up on, on a pedestal. It's, it's dangerous, but in large part, when we are chasing after those other things, that's a violation, first and foremost, of the first commandment because we're, we're finding other gods to worship other than the one true and living God. The second commandment then primarily, not, not exclusively, but primarily is focused on worshiping God properly. The second commandment reminds us or teaches us that we do not get to determine how God will be worshipped, that, that this book ultimately is what dictates who God is and how we are to worship him. Now, what are your idols? Your, your idols 
are probably not what you think because when we think about this commandment, do not make a carved image, or if you were reading from the King James, it would probably say a graven image. Remember graven, an engraved image. Now, when we think about not making those kinds of images, most of you have probably never carved out an image and then said, I'm going to bow down and worship that. You didn't go home and do that. But, but we have created oftentimes for ourselves pictures of who God is and how we would worship. And there's this strong attraction to idolatry because the reality is that we can't see or touch God and sometimes in our hard places of life and the difficult circumstances in which we find ourselves, we, we long for something we can see and we can touch. And so there's a real attractiveness to idols. I came across this list this week. The attraction of idolatry is, is, it was elaborate in the ancient world and, and to some degree can be in our world even today. Consider a few of the things that make idolatry attractive. Idolatry is guaranteed, right? So, so if I'm worshiping an idol, I don't, sometimes you might have prayed before and thought, I, I wonder if the Lord even heard my prayers, if they made it to him. Well, if you bowed down before an idol, you knew because there it was, boom, right there in front of you. Um, idols are selfish. They're materialistic. They tend to be what I want them to be. I'm not going to one God and saying, God, how would you have me to be? I can figure out which idol I want to bow down before. Um, idols are easy. Idolatry is easy. Um, it, it, it tends to give me what I want. It's convenience right there, right? I don't have to go somewhere to bow down before an idol that I've created. You don't have to go somewhere to worship the God that you've shaped and molded in your mind. He's wherever you want him to be. So it's convenient. It's normal. So it's cultural. We live in a culture that, that is constantly telling us that God is whatever we want him to be, right? Yet that's the way you worship him or that's your conception of who God is. But I see God this way. Y'all, the minute that we begin to talk about how we see God, we've gotten ourselves into a mess because ultimately it doesn't matter how I see him. It matters how he has revealed himself. Um, it's logical. Idolatry is logical because we tend to worship what we see and touch and know. I can see that, so I see the rain falling, so I want to worship something that gives me what I desire, what I can touch. It's uh, pleasing to the senses or it's sensual, so when we think about idolatry, it, it's it, you know, touch, taste, feel, see, smell, all those things are wrapped up in it. Um, it's indulgent. Think about idolatry in the ancient world. It often would involve huge drunken parties, for instance, and it was erotic. Oftentimes, the worship of pagan deities, of, of, of idols in the ancient world included um, temple prostitution and, and even big drunken orgies. This is kind of what was happening as a result of these worship experiences to idols. And so when Israel is called away from idolatry, it's not just being called to the worship of the one true God. They were certainly called to that. They were also called to worship only God in the way that he has revealed himself, okay? And so Paul warns us about this in Romans chapter 1, that uh, we, we, we turn ourselves around and rather than worship the one true and living God, we, buy, we, we worship what? The, cre the creation rather than the creator. So this is what God is calling Israel away from. Don't worship the creation and say, worship Worship me and worship me only and worship me in the way that I reveal myself to be. And so with that in mind, we're going to wrestle with that question, not just of what is idolatry. See, we can, we can approach something like idolatry from a very academic perspective. But to be totally honest, in a sermon of this context, the greater question for you is not what is idolatry. The greater question is what are your idols? See, we are all tempted towards idolatry. What are the idols that are getting in the way of your true worship? Is it an idol of convenience, an idol of money? Maybe it is the idol of your children. Most of you are not seeking a different God. You're just seeking to worship the one true and living God in your own way. 
And that's the warning that we're wrestling with this morning. So as we look at that, what are your idols? There are four things I believe that we can find in this passage of scripture that I want to point out to you to help you to move away from your own idolatry. Number one, do not make God in your image. Do not make God in your image. No one ever seems to want to worship a God who is like somebody else's. Nobody wants to adjust their idea of worship to fit somebody else's conception of who God is. Nobody wants to adjust their idea of worship for that which is uncomfortable. It's, it's amazing any time that I seek to envision, and I shouldn't, but if I ever seek to envision what God would look like, or if I try to think about who Jesus would be if Jesus had come in 2023 instead of coming when he did, you know, Jesus usually looks a lot like me. Now, he's dark-skinned, right? And, and he's got dark hair because I, I get that. He's of Middle Eastern descent. But, but I tend to think that Jesus would enjoy the things that I enjoy. I mean, Jesus would probably be a little bit like me, have the same kind of hobbies that I have, and, and, and maybe eat the same kind of food. We would enjoy hanging out because me and Jesus would be buddies. Because why? Because I tend to view Jesus through the lens of Craig Thompson. Now, I know y'all are probably better than me, but most of you aren't. We tend to desire or at least expect that what God requires of us is pretty much right in line with what my desires are anyway. That God really likes me pretty much the way I am, just maybe a little bit better version of who I am. He's not really calling me to do that much different. God's just, in that, in that context, God's just a coach, just nudging us along. Not a God who demands that we actually reorient all of our life around Him and around what He would expect and what He would desire. God is, is not like us. He is wholly different. H-O-L-Y, holy, but also W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. He is completely different than who we are. Years ago, we put, put out a, um, a family worship guide here at Malvern Hill. And one of the catechism questions that family worship guide gave this answer. God is a spirit and does not have a body like us. When we think about why it is that we are tempted to make God in our image, oftentimes it's because we think of God in a physical sense. But God is, is, is a spirit. We are to worship him in spirit and in truth. And if God is a spirit and doesn't have a body like me, then I don't worship him in the way that I desire to worship him. I worship him in the way that he desires. And so Jesus says, hey, the day is coming when we worship in spirit and in truth. And that day is now here. We are to worship him that way, to worship him. But not only is if God is spirit and truth, not only does that impact the way that I worship him, it also means this. God will not fit into your box. God doesn't fit into your box. And he, for the record, he doesn't fit into my box either. Right? God doesn't fit into my box uh, socially. God doesn't fit into my box politically. Right? You, you, we need to be real careful. It's, it's a really scary thing when people start telling me, what would God do? Right? Well, well I, God would vote for it. Really? Careful. Be real careful about what you're telling me God would do. The only thing I can know for sure that God would do is what God did and what God has said in this word. I need to be super careful sort of telling everybody who God is. He's already told us who he is. He doesn't fit into your box. He doesn't fit into mine. When we begin to paint a box for God to fit in, and look, that box can be anything, right? That box can be uh, politics. That box can be styles of worship. That box can be the way you dress. That box can be a million things. But when I begin to paint that box and say, whoop, God, right in the box, you know what I just did? I just made an idol. I just made God into an idol. 
Because I said, God, you go into this box. The real answer to the, the, the problems that we face with the worship of a holy and living God is that he sort of explodes every box we try to put him into. Just the minute that I think that he fits right within my pretty little political ideology, I read something and go, whoa, that doesn't line up with anything I thought that I believed about him. And boom, the box just exploded. The moment that I think that he lines up with my perfect little social ideology, I find something else. I'm going to go, whoa, that didn't work out. I don't understand. The moment that I believe that he lines up here, wow, this is hard. Why? Because he's bigger than us. He's wholly different than us. He doesn't fit into a box. Instead, he is constantly creating for us the boxes in which we are to fit. And he's painting for us the environments in which we are to worship him and serve him. This is the God that we serve. And so he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or anything like it that is in heaven above or earth below. You've probably not been tempted to go home and chisel out for you a carved image. But every one of us have been tempted to create an image in our mind of who God is and what he looks like. And rather than reorienting our life regularly as to what he expects of us, we're constantly trying to get God to dance to the tune that we expect of him. Do not make God in your image. Let God be God. <laughs> Side note, whether you let him be God or not, he is. Right? The question is not whether or not God is all of this. The question is whether or not we will worship him as such. And the reality is we will bow before him here or we will bow before him there. But one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He will be God regardless of what we desire. The great question for us in this life is whether or not we will bow before this God. Worship him as he is. The second thing, trust God's love for you. Trust God's love. Um, keep going. You shall not bow down uh, to them or serve them in verse 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. A jealous God. Now, what's it look like for us to trust him? The Bible says that God is jealous. We mentioned this just a little bit last week. This is a healthy kind of jealousy. God is jealous for us because God loves us. And because God loves us, he desires what is best for us. And I want to encourage you to trust God's love. One of the temptations towards idolatry comes about as a result of, of hurt and brokenness. We have yearnings within us. And in those yearnings, we're desiring for comfort, for acceptance. Listen, yearnings for love and acceptance will not be satisfied by imitations. Yearnings for love and acceptance will not be satisfied by imitations. We've all had friends. And maybe some of you have even been there before. Maybe some of you are there today. Where you've longed for romantic relationships, for instance. You've longed for companionship. And in that longing, they've been willing to settle for something that was a terrible imitation of what was good and right and healthy. And in the middle of that settling, you find that it's sort of like junk food, isn't it? It feels good for a little while, but ultimately it leaves you more hollow and more open and more empty than you were before because those cheap imitations don't satisfy us. It's a lot like a bag of potato chips at 9.30 at night. I don't know how many of y'all have ever had this joy or problem or struggle in your life, but at 9.30 at night when I want a potato chip, I don't actually want one. I eat a whole bag. Um, I mean, it's just true. It's, it's, just, it's, it's not good. It's not right, but it happens. What happens? You eat a whole bag of potato Okay, you don't. I eat a whole bag of potato chips at 9.30 at night. And then at 10.30, I'm laying in bed going, what did I do to myself? You know, I'm absolutely miserable. Okay? Um, and now I have a wife that will stare at me going, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm eating the potato chips. Leave me alone. You know what that's going to do? I do. Isn't that something? 
We know what it's going to do to us, and we still, we still chase after that momentary satisfaction, even knowing that it's not going to satisfy me. And many of us chase that with our idolatry. We don't trust God's love for us, because for me to trust Him is to give Him control over my life. I have these longings, these yearnings, these desires... But rather than me running after the Lord, I'm just, what am I doing? I'm taking control myself and I'm trying to satisfy. Look, your longings point you not to the need for a bag of potato chips or not to the need for you to work harder. Your longings point you to the need for a Savior. Your longings point to the fact that there is something in you that desires more. The Israelites found the answer to their longings. They're standing at the base of this mountain. Right? We've got God thundering from on high. They're standing there. Why are they even there? Because God has taken them out of the land of Egypt, redeemed them from their slavery, and he says to them, I am the Lord your God. There were some of them there that said, this is what I needed. I didn't even know I needed it. Y'all, sometimes God is exactly what we need even when we didn't know it. We have a longing in our heart, and we don't understand until we meet him that he is the perfect answer for that longing. There's a yearning within us, and it points us to the need for a Savior. But law, if, if we're not careful, rather than trust that that Savior will fill us up and satisfy us, we just fill ourselves up on spiritual junk food. We just fill ourselves up on a relationship here or an experience there, and we hope that somehow with all of those idols that we've created... Right? We've taken this idea of worshiping the Lord and we've so, so watered it down that we go, hey, well, I'll worship God in my way. And then we don't understand why we still find ourselves feeling utterly empty because we settled for a cheap imitation rather than the real thing. Okay? We, we've got to not make God in our image. We've got to trust God's love. And part of trusting God's love is trusting the Lord in the way that we will worship him. So let's keep going. That, that, that brings us sort of to recognizing the real danger. We're going to camp out right here for just a minute because there is a real danger of idolatry that we sometimes miss. Keep going. He says in verse 6, um, I'm sorry, this is it's still in verse 5, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Four generations will be cursed if you do not worship God Properly. Now, listen, 2 Kings 14, 6, God says that he will not punish children for the sins of their fathers. So what does this mean? Here's what, here's what we get from this. It's not that we have these two verses that are in conflict with one another. There's a reminder for us right here in Exodus. Not that God is going to punish your children because of what you did, but a reminder to you that just because your children can blame you for teaching them to live in sin doesn't mean that they are free from punishment for their sin. Parents, listen to me. Your worship impacts all aspects of your life. Your worship impacts all aspects of your life. And by the way, you do worship. The question is not, do you worship? The question is, what do you worship? And do you worship properly? God doesn't turn a blind eye to the sins of your children even if they learn that sin from their parents. Parents, we, we should be terrified by this passage of Scripture. My children will stand judgment 
because I led them away from the Lord and led them to love their sin rather than to love their creator, God. He doesn't turn a blind eye because your kids learned it from you. It means you are responsible. You are responsible for your children for a very long time. Which means this. Remember, we're not talking about false gods. This is important. This is, this is not primarily related to worshiping a different God. This is primarily related to worshiping the right God in the wrong way. And, and so we need to be careful. I, 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 for instance, am not like a lot of y'all. So when we think about something like rest, we're going to get to Sabbath in a few weeks. I'm, I'm actually going to be preaching on Sabbath. I thought Adam was. He's not. We're going to let him preach on something else. I'm preaching on Sabbath. Um, and so we're, we're going to talk about the importance of rest. And when we think about something like rest and restoration, many of us might do that in a slightly different way. Like when I go home, uh, a lot of times a big part of a rest day for me is to go for a walk. I, that's, a, that's a big deal. That, that's a way that I clear my mind. Um, and, and some of y'all are like, I don't want to go for a walk. I want to sit down for like 12 straight hours. That's fine. We, we're all going to rest differently. I, I might... I might work out on a rest day. That, like on a, on a day when I've rested from work, I might still go and, 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 and lift heavy weights because that is restorative for me. Most of y'all think that's dumb and that's just fine. That y'all can go do what you want to do. So we, we all can rest differently to some degree, right? We don't want to be super legalistic about all that. But, but watch. Just because I may be different from you doesn't mean when I say I can rest differently. Then we get to this one. Well, we all worship differently. Here's the problem. When I'm talking about rest, I'm saying what impacts me and allows me to be best restored. When we're talking about worship, the object of worship is not about what makes me feel best. The object of worship is about how is God honored? That's the question in worship. How do I honor the Lord? You don't get to choose your own way. Years ago, a book was written, I butchered this in the first service, a book written called The, um, the Five Love Languages. And so you got love languages. It's like, um, uh, I, I'm going to butcher it again. Um, we, you give gifts or you spend time together or you know, words of affirmation. There's two others. I don't remember what they are. Um, it doesn't matter. We're going to move on. All right. I can't believe I butchered this in two services in a row. Um, but here's, when I'm thinking about how I'm going to love my wife, so for me, I love words of affirmation, and I like to give and receive gifts. That's, that's how I show love. So if y'all want to love me, I, listen, y'all buy me a new gun. I'll be thrilled to death. It'll just thrill. I will feel so loved if y'all want to do that for me. Here's what I've learned through the years, though. Angela doesn't feel loved if I buy her a new gun. Like, if I buy her a new gun, she feel, she calls me selfish. You, you imagine. I mean, I, mean I, I, will, I will carefully choose a caliber that is excellent. And she just says, you know, that's not, a matter of fact, several months ago, I sent her a text message that said, hey, honey, would you like this new gun? It is, it's on sale. It's a great deal. She said, you might want a new gun, but I don't. And I thought, wow, that is a harsh thing for her to say to me, you know? Well, it's, it's a reality. And when I do pre-marriage counseling, one of the things I talk, I talk people about their love languages, but the primary thing for me in marriage is not what is my love language. The, the primary question is what is Angela's love language and how can I show love to her in a way that fits with what she desires and what she expects. 
Well, if that's true for my wife, how much more is it true for my heavenly father that my worship should be directed toward him in a way that he expects? It's the fall of the year. Many of y'all enjoy some of the same things I enjoy. We like to get out and go hunting in the fall. And one of my favorite things that I hear from some men during this time of the year is, you know, I tend to worship the Lord best from a deer stand. Y'all, I don't know how y'all hunt. I don't. I like to hunt. But when I pray, I do it with my eyes closed. I, don't, I can't find a deer. Like when I read my Bible, I actually look down. I can't find a deer. It's crazy to me. I, I hope that you'll enjoy the great outdoors and do all of that. But when you choose to substitute the gathering with God's people, which is what God has expected of his people since Exodus all the way through the end of the New Testament, when you choose to substitute gathering with God's people for your own form of worship, whether that be, hey, I worship God best on the lake. No, you don't. Like, let's tell the truth. You don't worship the Lord best out there. You worship you best out there. You worship your vision of what God would desire out of you best in that particular place. So here's the danger. Why am I painting all these elaborate pictures? Because the danger for our children, according to the second commandment, is not that we would worship the wrong God and lead them in that. You ready? It's that we would worship the right God in the wrong way and lead our children into damnation as a result. Because when I, when I refuse to regularly gather with my church body for worship... And I call it Christianity, even though it doesn't look like this book, then my children are not stupid. What they understand real quickly is that dad is less concerned with honoring this book than he is with honoring himself. He's less concerned with the God of the Bible than he is with this picture of the God. He's still claiming to worship this God, but the problem is he's created an idol. And the idol might still be named Jesus, but he doesn't look like this book at all. And there's danger because all of your relationships and every aspect of your life is impacted by your worship. And the negative impacts of wrong worship is to drive people away from covenant relationship with the Lord and to potentially condemn them to a Christless eternity. What are your idols? What are the idols in your life that are keeping you from rightly worshiping the Lord? Parents are the idols of your children, the idols of sports, the idols of hobbies. Why do we turn to them? We turn to them because our hearts are empty holes and we're looking for something to satisfy our longings. But we don't trust God enough to do it and we don't trust the real danger of idolatry and so we just continue to accumulate more and more Things and more and more opportunities and more and more excuses and all the while God is speaking to us from the mountain saying I am the Lord your God who has delivered you what are your idols do not make God in your image trust God's love for you recognize the real danger of idolatry and forth this morning embrace the promise can I encourage you this morning to embrace God's promise what is God's promise God's promise is that he shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The promise of God is that the grace of God extends far larger, far larger than his punishment. 
God desires to extend his covenant grace, his covenant love to his people. But we, we enjoy that, we embrace that, we experience that as we walk in relationship and in fellowship with him. And we do that by honoring his word. Embrace the promise. Look, you get to experience God's love through proper and regular worship. That's what you're going to do. One of the most challenging things for new Christians or for people that don't have any relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you don't really, you're not committed to Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. You fell out of church for whatever reason. Maybe during COVID you just never got back around to it. Or you got out of church some years back and you just never have gotten around. One of the great challenges for people that have been out of the church for whatever reason is to find yourself in regular worship. And the reason is this, like your Sundays have got a different routine. Your Sundays have already taken on something else. Sundays were reserved for the lake or Sundays were reserved for, for hunting or Sundays, Sundays might have just been reserved for sleeping until 10 o'clock and getting up and eating something and watching football all day. Like your Sunday rhythm has been different. And so one of the challenges that comes is that we're calling you and I believe that God's word is calling you to regularly gather with the people of God. And you're not sure what all that looks like or whether it matters. And I, I'm, I'm asking you this morning to do this. Look, experience God's love through proper and regular worship. Try it. See, it feels a little foreign when you begin doing it and you're not sure. Because you, you want to hold on to those idols. We all do because we can touch those. But it's only through regular, proper worship of a holy living God that we begin to really fully appreciate and understand and begin to be able to embrace the promise you see, when God gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, he didn't say, if you do these things and I'll love you. Remember, he said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I, he said, I am the one who has saved you. And then he says, these are the, the expectations of how we live. And the implied expectation or the implied answer to all this is that when you live this way, you live under my rule, but you also live under my blessing and my promise. This is God's way of saying, when you live this way, you find your best life. You find joy and happiness. You find satisfaction. You begin to embrace the promise. Y'all, I encourage you, experience God's love through regular worship and through a proper worship that is oriented toward the holy and true living God. And then finally this morning, when you embrace God's promise, you get to leave an inheritance of faith to those who will follow behind you. When my children or my nieces and nephews, or just the people that I regularly rub shoulders with, see me making a regular habit and pattern of regular worship, then what they see in my life, if nothing else, they see that a worship of the one true and living God matters enough for me to orient my schedule, my life, around gathering with God's people. Y'all, is, is worship one of those things that gets written into your calendar weekly in Sharpie? Or is worship the thing that gets added in if nothing else crowds it out? If you want to know how much worship of God matters in your life, then just answer the question of how it is that you schedule your worship. Do you join with your church family if there aren't better options? Or do you commit yourself regularly to your church family, pushing aside other options and, and alternatives to prioritize the worship of this God.
You shall make for yourself, a, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or is in water underneath. You shall not bow down before these things. How do we finish? What are you worshiping today? What is it? You're worshiping something. Success, pleasure, satisfaction. What about the God that you're choosing to worship? Most of you, because you're here at Malvern Hill, you're, you're gathering in worship service today. Most of you would at least claim to be worshiping the God of the Bible. But this God, this God wasn't made by human hands. This God wasn't fashioned and, and shaped out of human ideas. This God is above and beyond our control. We don't get to determine how he gets worshipped. He tells us what he expects of us and calls us to mold our lives into his image. See, one of the big reasons that we don't make images is because an image of God already exists. We have been made into the image of God. That's what Genesis tells us. God made man in his own image. Now, because of the sin in our lives, that image has been marred and scarred. But ultimately, what we are called to do is to conform our lives into his image over and over and over again. And that becomes our spiritual act of worship before him. And how do we do that? By honoring this word. But what are you worshiping? Listen, I know for some of you, like it's tempting because you've been hurt and you're just looking for anything that can help you find a way out. It's tempting to not trust and take God at his word because you feel abandoned, you feel scared, you feel alone. Oh, and then for some of you, it's not even fear or hurt. Some of it's just, it's just pride. And the reality is you don't worship God in the way that God calls to be worshiped because you just don't want to. You don't want anybody telling you what to do. Not me, not even God. And so you'll determine. Guys, when our, when our lives are rightly ordered around a proper worship of who God is, then we find our greatest opportunities to honor him and to live our best lives. This word was given to God's people who had been delivered from Egypt. It's the word that's given to you today. And as we conclude, there's some of you here who have bowed before lots of idols at this point in your life because you've not yet been redeemed from your own Egypt. And the promise of God's word is given to those who belong to him. And today, I want to invite you. See, some of you have bowed down before a lot of idols because you've not yet met the true and living God. And much like the people that Paul spoke with in Athens... You've chased after every god you could find, every idol you could find, trying to find satisfaction. And you find yourself at the end of your road knowing that there's been nothing for you. And you're praying that maybe this God that Craig has spoken about today, maybe this God has a chance at changing your life. I promise you he will. Today can be the day Jesus died to set you free and to deliver you from your Egypt. Well, there are some of you who are followers of Jesus that have been brought out of Egypt but you spent a while not worshiping the God of the Bible. You spent a while 
using that God's name, but worshiping an image that you created in your own mind. An image that allows you to live your life however you want to live without actually giving anything to him. And you recognize today that you've been living in a live worship. You've been worshiping an idol. Today, as we stand and sing in just a minute, I want to invite you. If you'd like to come up here and pray, you're welcome to. Some of you need to pray and repent. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to pray with you today and introduce you to Jesus so that you might find salvation. You may just desire to pray right there at your seat. You might be watching this online. You can pray right where you are. God hears those prayers. He desires to have a relationship with you. Let's walk away from our idols and walk towards the God who has revealed himself in his word. Pray with me this morning. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Thank you for this word that never returns void or runs out. Lord God, as we've gathered today, I pray that you'd be at work among us. As we sing, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be active. Help us, Lord God, to trust you above all else. Move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing.